You just arrived for your professor's office hours with 10 minutes left. There's time for one question, and your professor has to answer quickly, but clearly and accurately so you understand. Welcome to Cali Laudables, your audio law professor. Today you ask Professor Lynn Burnett of Hamlin University School of Law about a contract to protect your interests during cohabitation before marriage. Professor, I'm a first-year law student, so I will not be taking family law until next year. But I'm thinking about moving in with my boyfriend this summer. I wonder if you could tell me something about a couple living together without being married. I heard that they could get a contract to protect their interests. You are not alone. There are about 5.5 million people cohabitating together without being married. The number has increased significantly since 1970. In 1990, these couples constituted 3.5% of all households in the United States. According to the 2000 census, this has risen to 5.2%. Now, people live together without getting married for a variety of reasons. First, they want freedom. They want to be able to carry on their own affairs without being restricted by the state laws concerning marriage and divorce. They might believe that their relationship might end, but if it ends, uh, they don't want to go through all the formalities of divorce. Second, some people move in together in order to kind of test whether they are really meant to be married. They form some kind of a test marriage to see if it works out. A third reason to live together might be for tax purposes. You have heard politicians talk about the so-called tax penalty. Well, there may be some tax benefits for being married, such as a dependency uh, deduction, but if both parties are working and their joint income might actually place them in a higher tax bracket. Finally, a couple may lose income by getting married because one is receiving maintenance from a prior marriage or one is receiving some kind of welfare benefits that might terminate uh, upon the event of marriage. But we're, we're not really necessarily interested in, in the reasons why. I think you've already made your decision. So let's take a look at how the law has developed in this area. And we can start with the common law structure and see how it has changed through case law and state statutes. Remember, we are dealing with state law, so the law can vary from state to state. Now, states have always had a policy reason to encourage people to marry and to form lasting relationships. In order to accomplish this, some benefits uh, were provided uh, to married couples. Look at criminal law. Many states make it a criminal act to engage in fornication, adultery, or sodomy. Thus, sex is legal in marriage, illegal outside of marriage. Fortunately, these laws are largely unenforced. The recent U.S. Supreme Court case, Lawrence versus Texas, raises questions about these prohibitions, but that is really beyond the scope of our discussion. You mentioned contracts. The common law took a very dim view of contracts between uh, unmarried couples who were living together out of wedlock, calling these uh, meretricious relationships. Any contract between them would not be enforced by the courts if any part of the consideration was based on the illicit relationship itself. Courts then started to look at the contract to see if they could sever the sexual service part out from the other parts of the contract. As a crude example, if a woman hires a man to clean the pool and she later seduces him, is he entitled to get paid? The fact that they had sex should not bar his claim from being paid for his services to clean the pool. 
Similar arguments could be made by a couple living together so that the legal parts of the contract could be severed from the illegal parts of the contract. That's what the Supreme Court, the California Supreme Court, decided in 1976 when it handed down Marvin versus Marvin, a very famous case because a lot of publicity was generated around it because of the fact that uh, one of the parties was a very famous actor. In that case, the court held that unmarried adults who live together are free under general principles of contract law to make agreements concerning their property and earnings. In that case, the woman claimed that she gave up her singing career in exchange for Lee Marvin's promise uh, to take care of her for the rest of her life. Now, a majority of jurisdictions distinguish between contracts that are founded on sexual services and those that are not, and this law is still starting to develop. Just because uh, sex is involved in the relationship doesn't make the contract illegal. Now, let's look at uh, some of the legal theories that have been used by the parties. First, we could use an express written contract. If the parties had a written agreement and the terms are clear, the contract would be enforced unless some portion of that contract was based on sexual services. Uh, In some states like Texas and Minnesota, only written contracts can uh, be enforced uh, in this area, Uh, no oral contracts. Other states allow the oral contract. So let's look at an express oral contract. Since few people living together have a contract, the parties may have to attempt to prove that an oral contract uh, existed. In order to do this, they're going to have to find substantial supporting evidence. Since you are now taking first-year contracts, you might be concerned about the statute of frauds that requires contracts to be in writing if performed over one year. But remember that partial performance normally takes the contract out of the statute of frauds, so these contracts can be enforced. A third theory is based on implied contract. The agreement is based on the actual conduct of the parties uh, rather than on the uh, written contract or oral contract. So if one of the parties gives up a career and moves in to support the other party and they carry on such and share everything together, a court might find an implied contract in fact uh, in this particular situation. The final theory is really the role of equity that plays here, and we can actually have an equitable contract. Some courts might find an equitable contract when there is no evidence of an actual contract if granting no remedy would result in unjust enrichment on the part of one of the parties. These quasi-contracts are created by law for the reason of justice. Suppose that one of the parties performs substantial work on a house in which they are living and improves its value significantly. If the party could prove that he or she has supporting evidence of the reasonable value of those services, a court could impose a quasi-contract. There are other possible remedies based on the performance of the parties. Remember the equitable theory a quantum merit, translated as much as he deserves. The court could say that this person deserves to be paid for the work that he did on this particular house. The court could also use a resulting or trust theory to carry out the intent of the party could also use a constructive trust theory to prevent an unconscionable result. Overall, this area is complicated and it varies from state to state. Uh, You're going to have to do some research very specific to the state in which you intend to reside. Thank you, Professor Burnett. Bloodables are produced and distributed by Cali, 
the Center for Computer Assisted Legal Instruction. Find more laudables at www.cali.org/laudables. You can send your questions and feedback to laudables at cali.org. That's L-A-W-D-I-B-L-E-S at cali.org. The laudable theme music is "Ask Me No Question" by Learning Music. Laudables are for educational purposes only. Please seek an attorney if you need legal advice.